Today, I am honored to have Dr. Raymond Moody back on the show. It's going to be a little bit of a different conversation today. We're going to be talking about nonsense language. And in the beginning, it might be a little bit confusing, but I really encourage you to listen to the entire interview because it's it's so mind-opening. And when you think of nonsense, it's not just about silliness. And I'd like for you to really think about chanting and praying and singing and all the ways that we really open up our hearts and our minds in those contemplative practices also. So please enjoy and I really hope that you that you learn something from this beautiful interview. I sure did. Welcome to Interviews with Innocence, a podcast about spirituality, consciousness, and exploring the wisdom our children bring into this world. I believe that our very young children are our greatest teachers. After all, they're the masters of living in the present moment, bubbling in unconditional love, enjoying the messiness of life, and curious about the universe in all its dimensions. The pure essence that young children exhibit lives within all of us. My hope is that these interviews will help us discover, embrace, and connect with the sacred core of childhood that resides within each of our hearts. I am your host, Marla Hughes. I am so happy to have Dr. Raymond Moody back on the show today. Dr. Moody is an author, professor, public speaker, and grief counselor. In 1975, he coined the term near-death experience in his best-selling book, Life After Life. For half a century, he has researched some of life's greatest mysteries. He has a PhD in philosophy and an MD, and he's always had a strong interest in how medical realities intersect with the ineffable, ineffable realm of philosophy. Today on the show, we are going to talk about Dr. Moody's new book, Making Sense of Nonsense. Welcome to the program, Raymond. Oh, thank you so much for having me on your show, Mark. So um, I like to, I want to begin with something. This was towards the end of your book, but I just really loved this. And it goes back to your favorite person, and that is Plato. And this is what it says in your book. Plato maintained that the identity of a human individual resides in the individual's immaterial soul, which pertains to a changeless, intelligible reality that transcends the physical world. He claimed that the body belongs to an ever-changing, unintelligible material realm that is less real by comparison and noted that the body fills us with loves and desires and fears and all sorts of fancies and a great deal of nonsense. So I want to start off with that today because Plato knew what was going on from the very beginning about a lot of things, didn't he? He did. We love nonsense. Uh, You think of doo-wop music of my childhood or Dr. Seuss and Lewis Carroll and... um, Louis Armstrong and Ella Fitzgerald. I mean, it, it, nonsense. Nursery rhymes, per playground rhymes. Nonsense is a big part of our lives, and people love it. But they uh, are uncomfortable with the word nonsense. And Plato 
was very interested in the concept and he was trying, he wrote a book where he was trying to, um, to sort of sketch out the rules by which nonsense works. And he thought that was very important. However, in the next generation, his student Aristotle was the person who formulated the logic that we're using right now as we talking. And Aristotle left the nonsense part um, blank. And that is why, paradoxically, in the year 2020, we cannot really think rationally or logically about life after death and a lot of other big important questions. So this is a very important concept. Right. Yes, I know that um, it says in your book, the book teaches us a new way of thinking. It blows up our original thoughts of life after death. So can you talk a, a little bit about this new way of thinking? Yes, it does. The purpose of this book actually is to, when people read it and work the exercises that go along with it, uh, it actually opens up parts of your mind that you didn't even know you had. Mm -hmm. And um, putting those together at the end, it we can all bring it back to the concept of life after death and open an entirely new way of thinking about near-death experiences and the whole idea of life after death. Matter of fact, I'm confident in saying, Marla, that this is a genuine breakthrough in the rational investigation of the question of life after death. And I'm saying that not to pat myself on the back or to propound a new belief system, but rather to challenge people to um, try to refute me, because that's what we philosophers like to do is uh, we put something out there and somebody can find a hole in our reasoning, then we say, oh, well, good, I'm getting closer to the truth because I realize my mistake. Yes. But on the other hand, if um, no such uh, error arises, then we're more confident. Right. Well, I know in the description of your book, it says this, what do the whimsical writings of Dr. Seuss have in common with near-death experiences? The answer is that nonsense writing and spiritual experiences seem to defy all logic, and yet they both can make a powerful personal impact. And that was so, I think that's so profound because it is really interesting how um, those meaningful feelings come up when they accompany, you know, nonsense lang language. And it can really help open up your mind to some of these spiritual dimensions. Can you, can you talk about that a little bit? Well, yes, actually nonsense of various kinds has been part of every spiritual tradition that I know of. And mm -hmm. um, in the, um, the uh, Zen Buddhism, for example, we have koans, which are nonsense questions such as um, what is the sound of, one hand clapping. And that's nonsense if you think about it. And so the purpose of this was the Zen master would ask that question of the student, who at first would try to solve it with the logical mind, but this would eventually, your circuits go berserk. So it triggers you over into a whole 
world of consciousness beyond logic. And in the Christian tradition, they, um, they had glossolalia, which is speaking unknown, in unknown tongues, which consists of um, nonsense syllables drawn from the speaker's own language, put together in combinations that avoid meaning and avoid any grammar. And uh, if I've tried this myself, by the way, and um, you don't need to be in an ecstatic state to get it started, but once you get it started and uh, go on and on with it, it really triggers your mind into a very fascinating ecstatic state of consciousness. Yeah. Well, I know you also did some, some work with your students um, in this area, and um, let's see, it said in the book, nonsense stimulates a flow of odd mental imagery, half-formed ideas, and fragmentary change of thought. Yet something strange and hard to define emerges in the brain of someone who reads nonsense or listens to it being read or spoken aloud. And I know one of your students said, somehow it seems to fill my head with ideas only I don't know exactly what they are. And when I heard that, it's kind of like when you go into that Zen feeling, that kind of spiritual other dimension feeling. So can you can you talk talk about that a little bit and also about the ABCery? I was really intrigued by just the concept of that. So if you could talk about that briefly, it would be great. Yes, uh, even though nonsense by definition, it's meaningless. Nonetheless, when you hear nonsense, it, you, it seems to fill your head with ideas, right? Right, and right. So um, uh, one interesting thing about nonsense is that even though in the common sense view, we think of it as something unformed or um, vague, actually there's many different types of nonsense each type having its own distinct and identifiable effect on the mind. For example, if I say to you, "'Twas brillig and the slithy toves did gyre and gimble in the way," you recognize that as nonsense. But if I say, "'Holiness breeds the vestigial lipstick of spontaneity," <laughs> nonsense too, but that it's a different type of nonsense from the first type. Right. Uh, but if I go on to say that cannibal you men just ate was the last one in this county, you recognize that as the third type of nonsense, but it's not like the other two. But what this shows is that you have a capacity of your mind that you didn't know you had because mm -hmm. if I then go on to give you another example, and I say, for example, the next example is... Um, when you're doing this experiment, if you smell an odorless gas, it is carbon monoxide. You would recognize that as an example of the third type I gave, right? Now, what I found with my students, this is something I wrote my doctoral dissertation on in 1969 and have continued to work on since that time, but I've taught entire semester-length courses on nonsense at universities. And what the students all say is that this opens up cognitive capacities of their mind that they had never experienced before. And it has all kinds of effects on people. For example, my student, I remember the, uh, one of the, the, I guess the first quarter I ever taught um, in Greenville, North Carolina, 
uh, I was a philosophy professor and a young woman would come to class every day. I remember she always, she didn't wear shoes. She wore, and it came in her bare feet. And she was always pushing the stroller with her little baby in it. So the baby would sit there very sweetly throughout the lectures. But uh, about halfway through the quarter, she came to me and she said, Dr. Moody, I, she said, you know, I was failing in chemistry. I didn't understand it at all. But she said, after I did these nonsense exercises very well, and I have heard that same kind of remark repeatedly from my students, um, you know, forever. So this now, if where that's going is, once you open these unknown cognitive faculties of your mind, what it does is that when you come back then to a question like life after death, it just throws a totally new um, light on the most important question of existence, namely whether there is a life after death. Right. Now to push this forward a little bit, I've known a long time that eventually somebody who's been through one of my nonsense courses would have a near-death experience. And I conjectured that when that happened, the person would come back and would be able to formulate it to us in an entirely new way. Getting around the most common difficulty that people with near-death experiences report is that no matter how brilliant they are or how many languages they speak, they say there are no words to describe this experience. It has now happened, and a man who's a very distinguished artist and scientist who had uh, been to one of my nonsense seminars a couple of years before, subsequently had a near-death experience and reported that very effect, that it gave him a totally new way to look at this experience. Now, eventually, when we get a lot of people who have... Uh, had their near-death experience, they will actually be, bring us uh, closer than we have ever been in the history of Western society toward a genuine rational perspective on the question of life after death. Yes. Well, I know in terms of I'm talking about your friend, your artist and scientist, he and as you say, many if not I will venture to say all people who have had an NDE do say it's ineffable or undescribable, but he described them as conversations with God after going through your nonsense class. So, so Raymond, do you think that it, um, speaking nonsense, first of all, something that I personally, when I read, let's say Dr. Seuss books, because those are kind of my favorite, um, I just lose track of everything, you know, because I'm concentrating on the words and the, how they kind of just flow off your tongue and kind of the sing-song sing song part of it. And isn't that interesting? And so you really are being in the present and you're really letting your mind go to that spot where it's quiet and not absorbed with this earthly realm. So, you know, I find, I find that... I find that really interesting, but do you think it kind of remaps like the more you read or listen or chant or whatever nonsensical words, do you think it kind of rewires or remaps your brain a little bit? 
I, I think you could put it that way, or you could say that it opens up faculties that we have repressed right. because of the common sense attitude that we have that nonsense is something chaotic and unformed. But actually, as I show in my book, when you work this through, you see that far from being um, below the level of ordinary meaningful language, nonsense is actually a more complicated uh, domain of language than ordinary meaningful language. Mm -hmm. It's not something below the level of ordinary meaningful language. It's something above that level. So it's closer to the transcendent states of existence. <clears throat> and, um, you know, I've found also there's just, an, uh, I mean, so many psychological effects of nonsense that, it, I mean, I have a whole chapter in the book on just that. Right. And, um, for example, uh, paradoxically, people will pay more attention to nonsense than they pay to ordinary meaningful language. And that's why so often you see nonsense in commercials. The most famous recent one has been the, the series of commercials for the um, motel chain. And the man would say, would say nothing but bada book, bada boom, which is just nonsense. But that, that ad series went on and on and on showing that people pay more attention to uh, nonsense than to ordinary meaningful language. I had been studying nonsense for decades. By the time I first went to medical school, I had sort of sketched out all these different types of nonsense. And in medical school, when I started on the wards, I quickly realized that uh, patients with various kinds of disorders um, intoxication, certainly an intoxication with mercury or ethylene gas, for example, or patients who were delirious or patients who were severely stressed, even if they had not been injured and they had been at a, at a serious accident, for example, where somebody else was injured and the person who was injured was brought in along with the people who were just witnesses who themselves weren't injured. But the witnesses would just talk nonsense, even though you know, there was no physiological thing wrong. Or patients with schizophrenia, for example, talk nonsense. But what I realized was that the nonsense that my patients talked involuntarily was the same types of nonsense that Dr. Seuss and Lewis Carroll and others had written deliberately. So what this means is that nonsense is nonsense, whether it's deliver, deliberate or involuntary. It, it has a whole structure in there. Right. And then you talk about Lisa Smart's work with the um, working with the dying and the nonsense words that come from them. Can you talk, talk I guess you talk about the, the travel narrative one woman who was a professor of religious studies would tell me at one time, she said, you know, my husband in the last few days of his life, she, he was talking nonsense. And she said, I knew even then it was nonsense, but I wish I could portray the look she had on her face. And she said, but nonetheless, I felt somehow in the back of my mind that I understood it. Uh. And I'm sure many people listening to us will have had that same experience. 
Well, the question arises there, therefore, is the nonsense that people speak as they are drifting in as toward death, does that signify that they are, they are going over to another realm of existence? Mm -hmm. And my sense of this as a medical doctor who's seen this many times, I think that it, that it is. And Lisa Smart is investigating this, looking at the enigmatic language that people speak on the verge of death. We find that with, uh, by studying the different structures of nonsense that we can actually begin to comprehend what this enigmatic language of the dying is all about. Right. Wow. Well, I know that it's interesting because it's saying going over to, you know, to another dimension. And I think that's the reason also that nonsense, I mean, it's in deep, people are deeply connected in spiritual rituals, songs, ballads, the theater, poems. I mean, this, these creative outlets, if you will, that help us expand our mind. That's where nonsense is used, just like you're talking about for those who are, you know, who are getting ready to pass to, to, you know, a different dimension. Yes. And, you know, children recognize this. I, um, you know, kids love nonsense. Mm -hmm. And in my lectures over many years now, when people there who are adults, but when they think back, one of the uh, playground rhymes that many, many people all over the English-speaking world remember is, One bright day in the middle of the night, two dead boys got up to fight. Back to back they faced each other, drew their swords and shot each other. A blind man came to see the fray, a dumb man came to shout hooray. A deaf policeman heard the noise and came and killed those two dead boys. And um, many, I guess, thousands and thousands of people remember that playground rhyme very poignantly from their childhoods. I, I remember a, a businessman from Colorado who was at one of my um, uh, uh, lectures talked very, uh, you know, poignantly about his childhood memories of that and how he would use it as a good luck charm when he was walking along alone at night through a forbidding place he would he would chant that to himself or people will tell me that they would throw a basketball around in time with that chant and many people of course will have all kinds of memories of their children talking nonsense right. uh, when they were were young. And so, you know, once you start thinking about this, very rich associations begin to emerge. So it's something that's very important to us when we're young, but sadly, we kind of forget it as we grow older. But now with this new kind of way of thinking about it, and you can go through simple exercises, which open up these faculties of your mind, um, for all with all sorts of benefits actually i one of the first things i noticed when i was a professor was that my students who were artists when they uh, went through these exercises they would always tell me that it gave them creative ideas or it tapped into their creative t 
talents and so on. So there's, um, there's just a whole branch of language in the mind there that we've shut off, uh, partly due to my dear hero, Aristotle, <laughs> who had the kind of mind that just couldn't compute this. And right. so he, Aristotle's favorite term for nonsense was random talk. Well, I can show you very quickly that far from being random talk, nonsense is actually less random than ordinary meaningful language. And once we kind of grasp these principles, it, it opens up parts of our minds that are important for science, for spirituality, for artistic creation, for all kinds of um, psychological uses and so on. And um, there's a lot of pay dirt, I would call it, in this, this understanding of nonsense. One of the things I discovered was that if you talk nonsense to people without letting them know that you're going to do it, if you just spontaneously talk nonsense to people, then it sets off an unconscious mechanism where they'll start talking nonsense back to you that they, um, they uh, don't realize they're doing it. And uh, <clears throat> over the years, this has attracted attention of some very wonderful and sweet people in the intelligence community. They've had me to their meetings of three times now, actually, to talk about this. And one of the intelligence officers was, um, I was telling him about that effect. And just a few days later, we got a communication uh, from him. And he said that, um, he said, my colleagues and I found that we were very easily able to replicate your findings just by walking into the local Starbucks. You know, this is a very important aspect of the human mind. Right that due to historical circumstances, we've let lapse. But now that we can bring it back, this opens up a doorways into many, many different, very important problems uh, in science and spirituality and psychology and so right. on. Yeah, isn't it interesting how we're, now we're we're going back to Plato, you know, he was, he seemed to be the one that, that got it right a lot of the time, <laughs> if you ask me. He was. He, he made a lot of important observations about nonsense. He observed, for example, that one thing can be more nonsensical than some other thing. Mm -hmm. And he observed that nonsense makes people laugh. And he observes that even though it's meaningless, it nonetheless brings ideas into your mind. And he also observed that it has a structure. Right. And so he was quite a guy. He was, a, you know, actually, we think of Plato as this kind of academician, but to his contemporaries, I guess most people thought of him as a professional wrestler. His, um, his, Name Plato was actually his ring name. His real name was Aristocles, but the Plato was the name that his wrestling coach gave him for his. It was his ring name, oh and it refers to his enormous size. I did. Not, I did not know that. Well, you know, I thought. I thought today what might be really fun is to give the listeners um, an exercise to do on their own, you know, when, they, when yeah. they're when they done listening to this, because 
when I was just looking at all the exercises in your book, um, they were just so, they were so fun to do. And so I kind of wanted to start with this, with, um, the, the kind of the fun nonsensical language. And I found this one in your book and it's once again, Dr. Seuss, and it's in the places I go, there are things that I see that I never could spell if I stopped with the Z. I'm telling you this because you're one of my friends. My alphabet starts where your alphabet ends. I, I think that is such a great little um, little saying. And so can you just briefly talk about the abc <laughs> yeah. and maybe give the listeners just a small little exercise, kind of like your students did when it really kind of opened up their consciousness? Yes. Yes. Well, what an obesidary is, is uh, Dr. Seuss's book, On Beyond Zebra, is the book from which that was taken. And he said, as you say, uh, in the places I go, there are things that I see that I never could spell if I stopped with the Z. <laughs> I'm telling you this because you're one of my friends. My alphabet starts where your alphabet ends. And what he's doing there, it's a parody of a very important form of spiritual literature, which is called the abecedarius or the abecedary. And these today, we know of them as the ABC books, right? That we use to entertain our kids as they're learning their ABCs. And you can go down to Barnes and Noble this afternoon if it's not closed due to the (laughs) pandemic. And you can go back into the child section and you can find a dozen different ABC books with just, I have a collection of, I guess, a hundred of them and by wonderful creative artists and, and writers. And um, so today, this is something for us that's entertaining, which an ABC book is it goes through the alphabet in order and it has a different message by each letter, right? A is for apple, B is for banana, C is for carrot and so on. And there's all kinds of varieties of them. So in the modern world, it's entertainment. If you go back, say, to biblical times, the abecedary was a very powerful form of spiritual language. And there's about a dozen abecedaries in the Old Testament alone, most famously the 119th Psalm. And the purpose of these was only to communicate with divine beings or to convey spiritual prophecies. So what was a a spiritual tool in the ancient world has become in our world a a way of entertainment. But many of the wonderful obesidaries that you can get at the bookstore are nonsense uh, ones. Shel Silverstein, for people who know him, just, oh my God, what a great nonsense, right? He has kind of, um, um, an ABC book um, it's of nonsense. And there's um, just a lot of wonderful ones on the market that use the uh, abecedary format to write very, very clever nonsense writings. Right. And so what, what would be the instructions that you would give someone that would want to kind of try to want, write one of these you like an example of what you gave to your students? 
Well, yeah, if, um, let me give you, for example, take down these three sentences. First one, um, "'Twas Brillig and the slithy tubs did gar and gimble and the wave." That would be the first sentence. You can get all these in my book. Yes. The second sentence would be, "'Holiness breeds the vestigial lipstick of spontaneity.'" Write that one down. And then the third one, um, that cannibal you men just ate was the last one in this county. Now, what you do is, once you see the structure of those, each one has its own structure, right? The first one is nonsense words, but they don't sound like Polish words or Portuguese words or German words. They sound like English words, right? Yes. So, twas brilliant and the slithy doves, it sounds like regular um English words, and, and the, the grammar is unexceptionally English too, right? Yes. If you say, "'Twas brilliant and the slithy toes," if I ask you what part of speech slithy is, you would say an adjective, right? Mm -hmm. but even though it's meaningless. Well, then if you put the second one down, holiness breeds the vestigial lipstick of spontaneity, which is, all the words make sense, the grammar is perfect, but the trouble is the things don't fit together. It's like, uh, how can you pursue a vestigial lipstick? Attributes don't match the objects, right? right? And then the third one would be a self-contradiction. Um, that cannibal you mentioned ate was the last one uh, in this county. Now, if you put those three down and then you try to come up with your own examples of it, you copy each pattern and you're going to find that you have this ability to, to write nonsense creatively. Right. And then at the end, if you go back and you say, well, what was the thought process of switching from one of these types of nonsense to another, you'll find out all sorts of amazing things about yourself. I just, uh, I'm actually kind of embarrassed over the years I taught courses on this. The, I remember my teaching assistant said that he was just astonished at the reactions of our students. And it was, it's really just kind of embarrassing. They were so complimentary. So <laughs> the point though is that this really does just put your mind into a whole new place. Right. Uh, by the way, this, the reason ultimately why Life After Life is such a successful book was that I had this knowledge in the background, see, and I knew exactly how to write this in a way that would be acceptable because of being a logician and a philosophy professor, I knew how to put it right so that you know, that I would accurately portray the, the information. Right, right. It's funny that you just said physician and philosophy, because at first I thought you said magician, because magic, <laughs> nonsense, <laughs> nonsense is used a lot in magic, too. The, it is, it is, it is. Yeah. So let's talk about nonsense and go back to, we touched on it, but near-death experiences. Because, um, as you say, nonsense forms a mental and spiritual interface with the world beyond death. The, the experiences are ineffable, you know, not in ordinary space um, or time. Well, no space or time going out of your bodies. I mean, the way that people explain their NDEs are 
really nonsensical to, to many of us. So, but then again, there have been so many and shared death experiences. We now know that, you know, it, it really is true. So can you just speak on that a little bit? Yes. One of my favorite stories about Lincoln, I think I read this in the eighth grade, and I think it was in Carl Sandburg's biography of Lincoln, but I can't quite remember. But the event was that it was while he was president, there was a uh, very solemn state ceremony, and people were gathered around in a very solemn mood. And Lincoln's part of the ceremony called for him to mount a horse and to lead the procession away from the scene to somewhere else. But when Lincoln got up on his horse, the horse put its own back hoof up and got it caught in the stirrup. So the horse was bouncing around and people were just so, you know, just shocked into silence for embarrassment for the president. Right. You know? And so Lincoln just very calmly looked down at the horse and said, well, if you're getting on, I'm getting off. And the people just burst into laughing. <laughs> now, if you think about it, what that, that is nonsense to, you know, it's nonsense to say that a horse could get on its own back by putting a hoof in the stirrup and climbing aboard. Right. So that's nonsensical, but you've got to admit that it brings a very vivid image alive in your mind of that kind of emotion, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And this is exploited by a lot of nonsense writers. A lot of um, nonsense poetry takes the form of a travel narrative. Now, when you read a travel narrative that's nonsense, even though you know it's nonsense, nonetheless, you feel a progression of motion taking place in your mind. Now, I could show you very quickly that when people come back from a near-death experience and they say, for example, that there are no words for this and the experience did not take place in time. People say, for example, that I saw my whole life, but no time passed. And they say, I wasn't in a spatial place. It was not space. And yet, how do they describe it? They say, I got out of my body. I went through a tunnel into a light. I met my deceased relatives. I, I saw my life pass in review. I returned to my body and came back to life. Now, that's a travel narrative. If you think about it, a story of going from one place to another, and yet, what they tell us is it wasn't in space and time. So that means that structurally, a near-death experience description is a nonsense travel narrative. Now, I take near-death experiences and the question of life after death very seriously. And so to take it seriously, that means that we've got to look. The only way they have of getting across to us what happened is through words, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's very important to study exactly what form of words they use. Now, it takes a long explanation from this point forward, but what I want to say is once we have a lot of people who have learned this new logic of nonsense, 
and then subsequently having your death experience for reasons I won't get into that, but are fairly simple reasons that are spelled out in the book. When they come back, they're going to be able to tell us about this in a whole new way. Right. So that is where I claim the next big step in the rational investigation of life after death is going to be through this very book or the very system of thinking that I outline in this book. Yes. But I don't, it's, I'm not encouraging people to read the book just because of that. It, it has implications in all kinds of other fields mm -hmm. and, um, in psychology, for example, and in religious studies and in the spiritual life. So it's full of just amazing, amazing information. And I I know that you one of your one of the people that you talked to had had a near death experience. I I, um, I wrote down that she said, Raymond, you could say that my experience took one second and you could say it took 10,000 years and it wouldn't make one bit of difference which way you said it. <laughs> That's, that was my friend, Vi Horton. That's right. Yeah. She said that very thing to me. Yeah. And also in terms of your friend, um, the artist and scientist, the, the one person, at least for now, who took your nonsense class, and then he had a near-death ex experience, he said, you cannot understand how that world is related to this world unless you take the unintelligibility access into account. That's right. He is, in addition to an artist, he's also a physicist. Yes. And yes. so that's kind of, I guess, the way a physicist would have put it. Right. A very wonderful man. Right. Well, Raymond, thank you so much for coming coming on the show today. I know in conclusion, at, in your book, um, you say, my hope is that a sort of logic of nonsense has taken shape for you, offering new perspective and that nonsense has emerged as a delightful, thought-provoking, and useful propensity of the mind and spirit. I thought that was so beautifully written, and and your hope came came true for me. <laughs> I, mean, I, I loved the book, and I still my head is still spinning a little bit, you know, because it's just so mind mind opening. Well, you know, thank you so much for that. And I, I've spent, really, that book has been writing it since 1969. There are literally wow. some things in that book that go right back to my doctoral dissertation. So, um, and I, I mentioned that the intelligence community, which are the, I got to say, I mean, this is no exaggeration, just the nicest group of people I have ever been with in my life. Right. And I hate to see them you know, the going through what they're going through right now, because they're all just so lovely and so incredibly brilliant. I mean, these people are beyond smart. And the fact that they had me once, but then that they had me two times back, I, I think, you know, that you could imagine that they would have made a mistake the first time, but <laughs> the fact that they had me back twice after that, I, I gather that that means they think there's something to it. Yes, yes. And who were, um, was this part of like the remote viewing people and that sort of when you say the intelligence community? Well, you know, they were people in the American intelligence community. Right, right. Got right. in touch with me and they, I didn't know what was going on until I got there, but just met a very wonderful 
professor of analysis and the intelligence command, and they were just very intrigued by this. So that gave me some encouragement that I'm on the right track. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you once again. It's always such a, such a pleasure to talk with you and, um, Maybe well now. Do you have another book coming out called "God Is Not the Bible"? Yeah, by the way, on May the twenty something, twenty twenty, on my website, lifeafterlife.com, um, I have a program that's going to be going for four sessions, and it's called "God Is Bigger Than the Bible." Yes, and it's thoughts about God that I've developed over the years from interviewing thousands of people with near-death experiences. So if you go to lifeafterlife.com, this is how to, what the new project is about, is about a whole new way of looking at God and thinking about God, which is, I think, in the time we're going through right now with this virus and so on, there's a lot of people who are sort of looking into the notion of God again. So I hope people will come and join us. Yes, absolutely. I love the title of that. That's that's so cool. So if people want to find you, um, I know lifeafterlife.com and are there any um, other other social media places or where, where can people find more about you? You know, I am still using Pat, a notebook and a pen. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I don't use all the right. Stuff. So life after life is the best place. Yes, life after yes. life. Great, great. Well, thank you so much. And um, all of this, a lot of this information will be in the show notes, including since we weren't able to do video because our video was messing up, um, a copy of your book cover will be in the show notes. And I suggest to all our listeners that run out and get this fascinating book because it is, it will just blow your mind. <laughs> it's definitely a new, beautiful way of thinking. So thanks so much, Raymond. And you have, you have a wonderful day and stay safe. You too, Marlon. Thank you so much for everybody listening in too. And thank you so much, Marla. It's just great being with you again. Yeah. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening in today. If you want to learn more about the show, you can find us at interviewswithinnocence.com and on Facebook or Instagram at interviewswithinnocence. Please write me a message. Tell me what you liked and let me know what else you would like to hear. I would love to hear from you. And if you liked what you heard, please leave us an iTunes rating and review. It helps other listeners find the show. Thank you. Thank you.